All right, good morning. How's everybody? Hey, I don't know about you, but did anybody have trouble opening this thing? I mean, you know, if you want to never take communion, get one of these. This has got to be the last time we ever use these. If we have any inventory left, you're willing to take them home. I fought through two of them in the first service. I didn't even try in this one. And then a couple of people went out and they had juice all over them and everything else. So I'm convinced this is of the devil. God would not put his mark on this thing. Are y'all you, are you with me? Right? Are you with me on this one? Now, I will say it's better than the common cup. So there was a time when they had one cup and everybody, this is what encouraged people to sit in the front, and everybody would come up and drink from the first cup. By the time you got to the end, you got backwash going bad, right? There ain't no common cup in this, in this house. But anyway, I just wanted to say this. There's all kinds of fun stuff that happens in church that's not supposed to, like this one, like, right? So then we had new steps built over here because the other ones were uneven, but apparently it's a little light. So the subwoofers which are the low-end kind of sounds that some of you love, um, they're right underneath the stage. And that sta those steps are literally jumping. I mean, and, and it sounds like somebody's hitting a piece of plywood every time they, they're going off. And I just sit there and I go, I love the inside scoop in church stuff, right? Right? It's kind of like the little jokes you guys have and you look at each other and like, ha, 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 and like, we don't, like I don't see you. No, I see everything that's going on. I see you passing notes. I see you giving, yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a corny joke. I know all that stuff about you. It's okay, because there's nothing funnier than when it's not supposed to be funny, right? Sustained laughter. You ever try to just sustain laughter and go like, I'm not going to laugh right now? But, um, but on the other side of it, this is, a, this is a house of hope, because that's what we're all about. We're about redemption. Redeem means you've been bought, Jesus paid the price. He bought you out of the problems you have to give you freedom. That doesn't make, mean that life is always simple and easy. It's not. It's challenging for everyone. If somebody told you when you came to faith in Christ, all your problems are going to go away, it's going to be really easy, they lied. Right? What is true is you find hope in the midst of the struggles, that you have someone to turn to in the midst of the problems. So when you look at the Word of God, and we're going to be talking today, um, I'm using uh, this new workbook called Kingdom Discipleship that I wrote as a basis of this sermon series. Really encourage you to get a copy of it. You can literally take notes because we're just following the lessons as we go. It's very helpful. There's some diagrams that we're going to put up from time to time. They're also in the book. And then when we get about three-fourths of the way through this series, we're going to talk about some training opportunities for you to be trained as a discipler so you can teach other people. But uh, one of the things that we have in this, uh, in, in this study is that we talk about pictures and types from the Old Testament. And those stories like the Lamb of God, there was a lamb that was slain in the Old Testament for the sins of mankind. And then Jesus is the Lamb of God. So the two things we're going to talk about today, we're going to talk about baptism and we're going to talk about communion. What I want to do is I want to take you back to Egypt. Because in Egypt, we're going to see that the doorpost was very significant and the people were in bondage to the Egyptians. But what God does is God wants to move us from bondage to abundance. Can you say bondage? To abundance. So whatever bondage you might have in your life today, and I'm talking about if you're a Christian 
are not a Christian, you can be in bondage. You can be in bondage to a memory. You can be in bondage to a circumstance that took place in your life, to a person. And because you haven't been set free, you can't experience abundance in your daily life. It doesn't mean that you ignore the problem. It means that you hand it over to Jesus. And every time it slips back into your life, you hand it over again. So Israel finds himself in bondage. They're a slaved people to the Egyptians. And their job is pretty simple. Day in and day out, they make bricks for the projects that the pharaohs come up with. And it's a miserable life. They barely eat, they barely live, and they really are not happy at all. But God sends a deliverer, a man by the name of Moses. And he says to Moses, I'm going to use you to get the people out of Egypt, and you're gonna have to convince the Pharaoh through these signs, and these signs are gonna be 10 plagues. And by the time they get to the 10th plague, they're gonna be ready to get rid of you. So after the 10th plague, I want you to take uh, and cook some bread, with, but it's gonna be unleavened. Because leaven is a picture of sin. And it grows exponentially in our life, as does sin. And you're gonna take this bread, and you're not gonna have time to let it rise anyway, because you're gonna have to get out quickly. And so you're gonna cook this unleavened bread, but I also want you to take the blood of a lamb, and I want you to sprinkle it on the doorpost. So this is supposed to be a doorpost here. And you're gonna put blood here, here, and here. And that blood is going to be a reminder, but it's also going to be a statement. Because the death angel is going to come, and that death angel will pass over your house because you are a believer. If you've ever heard the term Passover, this is where it comes from, the book of Exodus. So when I see the blood, the death angel will pass over and there will be life on your house, but not life on those who do not believe. And you see this picture because what happens is when you put your faith in Christ, when the blood of the Lamb of God is applied to your faith, what it means is that God passes over your sin and you are set free from your sin. It's called the Passover. After the Passover, they were told then to leave uh, the land of Egypt, and they were going to cross the Red Sea. And the Red Sea is a picture of baptism. You see, this is a picture of communion, the Passover, and then they're going to cross the Red Sea, and they're going to walk through as on dry ground. So what happens is they leave Egypt, they're heading to the Red Sea, and when they get there, they look back, it's always dangerous when, you, when you're moving forward in the kingdom and you look back. The Bible says you're unfit for the kingdom if you look back. So look forward, but they look back. They saw the Egyptians coming, just like you see your problems coming, and you become fearful, and you think that God is not going to come through. And so what do you do? You grumble to your neighbor and to God. You say, God, what did you do? You you left me all alone. You left me here. Like the Israelites said, you left me in the wilderness to die. So Moses then goes and he says to God, God, I don't know what's up here. You brought us out here in the wilderness. Here come the Egyptians. And basically God says, will you just quit talking and tell the people to go forward? Because it's until you take the step of faith in the direction that God gave you, you don't see the miracle. And it says when they step forward, it said the Red Sea Parted and they walked across on dry ground. 
So that was the promise. Now, a lot of people say, well, I don't really know if that happened. You really think that happened? I do believe that happened. You say, well, I think it was the Reed Sea, and it was only six inches of water. If that's true, then it's a greater miracle because all those Egyptians drowned in six inches of water. I love God's miracles, don't you? Now, the great thing is that science and technology can help us because only a few years ago, they did some research in the Red Sea, and they took underwater um, vehicles, and when they went down there, they photographed uh, hundreds and hundreds of wheels from chariots. Now, you know, you say, well, that doesn't prove it. No, it doesn't prove it, but I guarantee you that was not the way that they were recycling stuff in that day. So something was going on there. So they crossed the Red Sea. Once they crossed the Red Sea, they get into an area called wilderness. And the wilderness, they're wandering around for 40 years. Now, they didn't, it wasn't God's plan for them to do that, but because they had a rebellious heart, even though they were believers, They could not embrace all the promises of God, and they couldn't experience the abundance from God. It's like a person who comes to faith in Christ but still has a rebellious heart, and they're not experiencing all that God wants them to have in abundance. Yeah, you're saved, but you're miserable. And your job is to make everybody else's life miserable and try to undercut their faith too. And so God wants us to understand, we get out here in the wilderness, well, guess what? Now they don't have any food. They go, what are we gonna do? We're gonna die in the wilderness. God then provides something called manna. Can you say manna? In the Hebrew, it means what is it? You ever had a meal like that? My mom used to make some meals like that. My dad would go, what is it? She said, just eat it. I don't know what it was. You know, she just, she was just mixed stuff up and it would come out. I don't know what was going on. A lot of meatloaf. Remember meatloaf? What's with the meatloaf? I mean, one week it's this, next week, what is this? Well, this is what we had left over. We just threw it in there like sausage. I don't know. I don't get it. That has nothing to do with our sermon. So they get out there, and the manna is like a bread-like substance that falls from the, from the sky to the ground, and the people would get a supply of it every day. It was the bread from heaven. It was a picture of Jesus, the bread from heaven that comes to earth. That's why Jesus said in John 6, he said, I am the bread of life. The Jews instantly knew what he was talking about because they understood that Israel was fed in the wilderness with bread, and that's why Jesus said, man is not sustained by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So you see, it's not enough just to have physical bread. We need spiritual bread. We need heavenly bread to sustain us. And God said, I'm gonna give you bread every day. I'm gonna take care of you every day. Don't try to store it up. Don't, don't doubt me and think, well, what if he doesn't come through today and I, can't, and, I, and I can't trust him? No, you trust God every day because every day has to be a fresh encounter with God. You can't live on yesterday's experience with God. You gotta have a fresh encounter with God. You say, well, I'm, I've been a Christian a long time, so? What's your point? You should be the most spiritual in the bunch. You should never grumble. You should always have a smile on your face. You should, if that's the case, amen? The problem is longevity in the Christian life does not guarantee spirituality. Hello? You can still be drinking from a bottle when you've been a Christian a long time because you never grew in your faith or in your maturity or in your knowledge of the Word of God. And that's what discipleship is all about. It's about taking the every step every day, every day. Doesn't mean it's easy. Doesn't mean it's fun. It means that you are committed to the kingdom principle of following hard after Jesus Christ. Amen? 
All right, now let me just talk about the Passover a little bit. So Passover, the idea is living on heaven's supply. Every day you have to say, I'm gonna live on heaven's supply. I don't have enough money, heaven. Don't have food, heaven. Friends, heaven. Peace, heaven, heaven, heaven. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. I want every, all the provisions of heaven to be in my reality every day of my life. The Red Sea is a, is a reminder that only God can get you through your mess. You ever notice when you get in a mess, what's the first thing you do? You throw up your hands and go, what am I gonna do? Never helps. So then you call up your friend. Hey, what am I gonna do? And they go, I don't know, I tried this, try that. And then finally, in desperation, what do you do? God, can you fix this one? And have you ever noticed how when God fixes things, it's not as fast as you want it to be? I mean, I want like, you know, like fast food kind of fix, right? Like God, I just pray it, and then all of a sudden, the next day, it's, it's it. No, no, we're not going through the drive-through here. We're going to a little bit longer banquet on this one because when you get through it, I want to make sure you remember it. See, if you get, if it goes, if it's if just quick, easy pass, I get in, out, in, out, I don't really remember it. Have you ever noticed when you go through something really bad, one of the things you say is, I am glad that's over. God taught me some great stuff, but I'd certainly like to learn a little quicker, a little easier next time, amen? You see, but, but God is shaping our character. God is shaping us as a person because he's getting us ready for our eternal destiny and our assignments that he has from, for us from before the world was even made. You see, heaven is not floating around with a harp. How boring would that be? That's the best Hollywood can come up with. No, there are, there are divine assignments for every person, but when, what you invest in here and now is going to somehow relate to the way that you're going to have responsibility in eternity. So be faithful now. Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, not on earth. Lay up for yourself tre- in heaven because they're going to be useful. They're, you're going to get to spend some stuff in heaven that you earned on earth. You don't lay up treasure in heaven just to say, I got a big bank account in the heaven, heavenly bank. You lay it up because there's going to be some medium of exchange in eternity. A lot of people don't get that. They go, well, I think we're all just going to be equal, like Christian socialism. We'll all get up there and everybody's going to have anything in common. No, 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 that's not it at all. There's going to be some choice assignments for some people who've been faithful. So be faithful. All right, this is the introduction. Let me give you a couple more scriptures. 1 Corinthians 10, 6. Look at this, this is what it says. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they lusted. He's talking about the Old Testament. The Old Testament, I want you to know that God gave you some examples in the Old Testament so you wouldn't do the same silly thing. So you read the Old Testament, you go, right, well, that was really dumb. Wait a minute, I think I did that one. Okay, let me show you another one. First Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11. Now these things happened to them as examples and they were written for our what? Admonition. So, you know, they're written. God said, I'm gonna write them down uh, for your admonition upon whom the end of the age uh, is, will come. And so you look at them, you go, I want to learn from everything I can. That's why reading the Old Testament, reading the New Testament, critical for your future. Let's look at this diagram. What's God's supreme goal? God's supreme goal is the establishment of his kingdom in the universe. So you notice it's not limited to earth, it's the universe. Because God is the creator of all things, and are there planets with other people? I don't know. 
but it wouldn't be on be beyond a God who could create one. He would create more than one. And but whatever it is, his entire universe, all the unseen and the seen world under his dominion. So what happens is uh, God teaches us this in three phases. You notice phase one is Old Testament, types and pictures. So when you, re- you read about a lamb that was slain, okay, that's a picture of the coming lamb of God. And so I understand something about that, and this is how God teaches us about the kingdom and about he establishes his, his kingdom on earth through us. Second phase is the ministry of Christ and the apostles, and that's the primary phase we're going to look at. Third phase is the future eternal kingdom. So everything has to do with these three phases and how it operates. Now in that second phase, you'll notice there's three things that are important. The first one is be fruitful. That's bring forth life. We were designed to bring forth life in the physical realm and in the spiritual realm. So when you are born again, it's bringing forth life in the spiritual realm. Secondly, to multiply. So the design of God was you're gonna, you're gonna get married, you're gonna have children, they're gonna have children, and you're gonna multiply. That's the principle there. And so in multiplication, that's like discipleship. So I learn something, I teach you, you teach somebody, they teach somebody, and we all kind of move in forward in the kingdom. Then the third one is fill the earth, and that is missions. That is go everywhere you can, tell people about what you found about God, and help them to understand the same truth that you have. Got it? All right. Baptism. Let's talk about baptism. I have, uh, I could write a book on baptismal stories. I'm gonna tell you just two stories. Um, Tammy and I got married. I'd been a Christian about three and a half years, and I got to be senior pastor of a church at about three and a half, four years into my Christian life. You know what that means? It means you don't know anything. But fortunately, it was South Louisiana. South Louisiana, all they really cared about, if you could scream and quote scripture, then you're a pretty good preacher. And so all, all, you know, all the Cajuns, they loved it, and, and it was fun. We had a great time. But then came the time for my first baptism. And I had never been taught how to baptize somebody. I got baptized, but I didn't know how to do it. And so they had, that church had, have you ever seen the big aquarium up in the ceiling? You know, the churches with the big aquarium up there, it's the big baptistry, and they have the little magical curtains, you know, it's like a Wizard of Oz, you know, here they come, they open up, and all of a sudden there's people up there in water, it's like amazing, right? Well, we had one of those. And so the first kid I was going to baptize was a guy named Richie Hunter. If you remember things that long, you know it was a crisis moment in your life. Richie Hunter was 10, 11 years old, and I gave him all the instructions, and, and uh, he'd held his nose, so, you know, he was, he was going to be fine. And when I baptized him, put him down in the water, and I brought him up, and he came up out of the water screaming, Mama, Mama, that man tried to drown me. Now, you know, if you're the pastor... This is not really fun. It doesn't make anybody want to get baptized because you tried to drown people up there. The next lady was Maud Orcutt. Do you see how, how, what a big crisis this was in my life? Maud Orcutt. Typic, that's really a, a South Louisiana name, isn't it? So Maud was one of the old school people that would, you know, she said, I've, I've only worn a dress in church and I'll never wear anything else. And, and so she w- we couldn't convince her to wear pants that day and the baptismal robe, she wouldn't wear that. And so we said, okay, well, well, we'll try it. Well, they have the little curtain and the curtain closes between each one. And so Maud comes down into the water and the first thing that happens is that dress looks like a parachute. It just flattens out and she looks at me and I'm thinking, oh no, because remember, it's glass. 
This ain't going to be pretty for nobody. I'm telling you right now. And she looks at me, and I said, what do we do? And I said, just start pushing it down. So we're pushing. And the guy, the, we had the guy that was, he was probably German, uh, that was operating the curtain because his timer was perfect. You know, he was like an engineer, precision. You know, you get 60 seconds, and I'm opening that curtain, whether there's a dress or not going on in there. And so the curtain opens. We get her. Now, now in, in a big body of water like that, the way you have to baptize people is that you have to bend your knee and then lay back. You know, because you can't just go flat back like that. You got to kind of ease into this thing. And so I told mom, now, now remember, these are the instructions. You bend your, and then lay back. I've got you. It's all going to be fine. I don't know what it was about Maud that did not listen. If you think Richie Hunter was embarrassing, this one gets worse. So Maud is standing there, and instead of bending back, she walks back like this. Now we're at the back of the baptistry. We can't baptize her. Now I've got to walk her forward. My face is getting red. Maud, bend your legs. Don't walk backwards. Second time. Now I'm even redder, right? I walk her back up, and I say, Maud, you know, to bend your knees, right? But then I did what every pastor does in that moment. I improvised, and I leg swept her, took her out from underneath her, and put her down, and I got her baptized. Amen. Maud was going down one way or another. We did get her back up, too, by the way. So baptism, what is it with baptism? Well, baptism is a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So when a person's standing up in the water, we lay them down like the, so they're identifying with the death of Christ. We bring them back up. It's a picture of resurrection. The Bible says in Romans 6 that we are buried with him by baptism into death so that like as Christ was raised from the dead, so we too can walk in newness of life. Now, baptism does not save you. You get baptized because you are saved. You're always saved by faith through grace, but baptism is a testimony to everyone that you follow Christ. But it's also an act of obedience. It's it's something we're told to do. Let me take you to Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. Go therefore, this is what Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples. You notice disciples have to be made. You're not a disciple because you get saved. There has to be a process of making you into a Christ follower. Without that process, we kind of know a little bit about the Christian faith, but we're not well grounded. We're not stable in our, in our faith. So I took and said, what are the 10 things that you need to know? And they're in here to get the basic foundational uh, truths right in your life. He said, make disciples of who? All nations. Baptizing them, it says, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, the word baptize is literally the word baptizo, so they, they made it into an English word rather than translate it. It actually means to dip, all right? So you dip something in water, you immerse it in water. So baptism is not about sprinkling someone or pouring water over them. It's about immersing them because it's the picture of death, burial, and resurrection. Now, a lot of people, you know, I was baptized as a baby. I was in another faith, and, uh, and I was baptized, uh, sprinkled on the head. And, and I, the only reason I know best is because my mom told me. I wasn't a believer. I didn't make a conscious decision to follow after Christ. So all I really did was get wet. I didn't get baptized. It's kind of surprising to a lot of people because uh, Catholic Church, for example, they sprinkle babies, but there was a time in the Catholic Church where they actually immersed. A lot of people don't know this, but then the doctrines change because uh, the, the Pope can change doctrines at any time and at any place because it's a source of authority. So they came up with a doctrine that children needed to be baptized. 
So they started baptizing infants by immersion, and apparently the, the priests weren't great at it, and they had some, uh, some infant mortalities going on, so they changed it to sprinkling to adapt to that time. I want you to know you don't have to adapt to time. You just take the Bible for what it says and do it. People say, well, we need to be culturally relevant. There's nothing more relevant than God, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We don't have to change anything. We just have to follow after what he says. And and so he goes on to say, look what it says here in this uh, Matthew 28, teaching them to observe all things. The word observe means to take attention, pay attention to, and do. So observe everything that I've commanded you. Do you notice that Jesus doesn't make suggestions? What we do sometimes is we take the word of God and go, well, you know, I don't really think that's what that means. How did you get so smart? All of Christianity has been fooled for 2,000 years. How did you come up with that? I mean, people come, oh, you know, I don't think the whole Bible's the word of God. You see, if you understand divine revelation, you understand that not only did God ensure the process, he also ensured the purity of it that we have today. And so to To take out the word of God is to violate scripture itself and doesn't understand revelation and inspiration from God. In fact, the Bible says if you take away from the word of God, it says God will take your name out of the book of life. That's kind of serious, right? Why is God so important? Why is the word of God so important? Because it's the character and the nature of God. So when you take the words out and say they're not applicable, you're saying God is not applicable and you've made yourself to be God. All right, so let's go on here. Acts chapter 8, verse 35. Let me set it up. So a guy named Philip, he's an evangelist, and uh, he's going along, and he sees an Ethiopian in a chariot, and he's reading from the scroll of Isaiah the prophet. He runs up to the chariot. He jumps in the chariot with him. He says, do you understand what you're reading? He said, how can I understand unless somebody teaches me? Do you know that you cannot understand? Nobody in this room can understand the Bible without a teacher. And the teacher is the Holy Spirit. Now, there's human teachers that can help put some light on it, but the ultimate application and really understanding of that comes from the Holy Spirit of God. He said, how can I understand unless someone teach, teach me? And he, he says he began at that point to preach unto him Jesus. Now, let's look at the Scripture. He says here in Acts 8, Philip opened his mouth, beginning at this Scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. He answered and he said, now look at this great confession. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So they commanded the chariot to stand still. Both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water and he baptized him. So here's what we learn when we study Scripture. We talk about who can get baptized, those who've been born again. Baptism is not some way to kind of get a part of the church. That's not what it's about. It's a testimony that I believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. How? What's the process? It's immersion. You can't find anyone in the New Testament that was ever baptized any other way except by immersion. They were dipped into the water. They came out, picture, death, burial, resurrection. And then why are we baptized? It's an act of obedience. It's something that says, I will follow after God with all my heart, all my soul, all my strength. Amen? Let's go to communion, communion. Picture of redemption, redemption. Remember, here it is over here. We got Passover, 
We've got the death angel passing over. Your sins are passed over. You know, the, the, see, the blood of Christ, the Bible says, cleanses us from all sin. Isn't that a great thought? Do you know that the action of the verb in that word cleanses is it's continually cleansing and never stops? You know that every day you're cleansed of your sin? Well, then what, why do I confess? You confess because you're agreeing with God that you, are, you have sin in your life. It's not because you're not washed. No, you're washed because you're continually washed. Otherwise, if you weren't continually washed, you'd continually be lost and then saved, lost and then saved, lost and saved. No, the blood cleanses you all day long. You can just enjoy the flow, the flow of the blood of Christ all the time. Well, in the Bible, it's called by many things. It's called, uh, in Matthew 26, the body and the blood of Christ. What is communion? The body and the blood of Christ. It's called the breaking of bread in Acts chapter 2. It's called communion in 1 Corinthians 10. It's called the Lord's Supper, 1 Corinthians 11. It's called the bread and the cup of the Lord in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So you see, it's used by a lot of different terms. So someone says, well, we're going to have Lord's Supper. You say, well, what's that? Well, that's like communion. Same thing. That's like breaking bread in the book of Acts. It's all pointing you back to that same significant thing. 1 Corinthians 10, 16 says, the cup of blessing with which we bless. Do you know that when you take the cup, you're blessing? You're blessing people around you. Did you know that? When you live a, a, a committed life for Jesus, do you realize you bless people around you? Have you ever thought about that? Your purity before God blesses people. In Jesus, in uh, John chapter 17, it's his high priestly prayer before he's, he's crucified. And he says, I sanctify myself, that is, I set myself apart for, your sake, for their sake, O Lord. So do you realize he was saying, I'm going to live a holy life because of everybody else? What would happen if you say, I'm going to live a holy life because of everybody around me? Instead of, I'm going to live, I'm not going to, I'm going to live a holy life because I want some benefit. What if you just said, I want to think about the body of Christ. I want to think about my brothers and sisters, and they're blessed when I walk with God, when I live a holy life before God. First, uh, let's go to Acts chapter 2 and verse 40. Look what it says here. Um, oh, let me go back to 1 Corinthians 10, 6. The cup of blessing with which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? Now, what's really interesting here is he uses a word here. This idea of communion is the idea of fellowship. It's a Greek word, koinonia. And koinonia means a fellowship in the spiritual realm. But watch this. It's also used of, of intimacy, physical intimacy between a man and a woman in marriage. So I want you to think about this kind of fellowship is so intimate that God uses the same word to describe we're sharing with one another in the spiritual realm. It's the same kind of intimacy in marriage that you have with your wife and your husband. Fantastic, right? It gets deeper. It says... Um, communion of the blood of Christ. So I'm communing in the most intimate way with the blood of Christ in my life. The bread which we break, is it not communion? Is it not this same kind of thing? Is it not this intimacy with the body of Christ? You see, so what happens is the body of Christ is, is tied into all of this. Let's go to Acts chapter two. Let me show how this works in the New Testament church. Be saved from this perverse generation. Do you realize that is true of every generation? Is it worse today than ever? I don't know. It's always been perverse. The truth is still the same. You have, to, you, have to be, you have to remove yourself from the mindset of every generation. It doesn't mean you're not culturally relevant. 
It means that you don't allow the thinking of this perverse generation to infiltrate your mind and take you down the wrong path. That's what it means. You see, what happened when you came to faith in Christ, you became a citizen of heaven. That's your citizenship, the Bible says. So you are still a citizen of earth in the physical sense, but you took on a dual citizenship of heaven. And that dual citizenship, the second citizenship you have, trumps the first one. It always takes priority in your life. And that's why when people get come to faith in Christ and they try to go back into this, this life of, a, of just living apart from Christ, it's, they're so miserable because they weren't they were recreated. They were designed to live as new creatures in Christ Jesus. So it says uh, in, in Acts chapter 2, be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. See, the word of God has to be gladly received. Nobody can become a Christian or be forced into a Christian. It says they were baptized, and about that day, 3,000 souls were added to them, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread. There's communion right there. See what they were doing? They were saying, what does the Word of God say? That's doctrine. They were having fellowship with one another. They were breaking bread and prayer. And notice what came out of that. It says, then, look at this, then fear came upon every soul. Do you know there's something really interesting that happens when you take communion? It reminds you of the importance of his body that was broken for you and for me. That his blood was shed for you and for me. I, uh, on Friday, I had a had a uh, uh, an exam for a new life insurance policy, and you know, after you get over the humiliation of them weighing you, yeah, I think that scale a little heavy, weighing a little heavy right there. Then they're gonna take blood, all right, and they're looking for the biggest vein, make a fist, biggest vein, you know, and it's always good, and they go, oh, good, you know, you hear that, oh. You don't ever hear, I don't even see anything, right? Oh, good. And then she takes that needle and, and just gently jabs me with it. And, I, oh. and then the blood starts to flow. And I knew I was going to preach this subject, so I thought, isn't it interesting that the pain that Jesus felt when that spike went into his hand and into his feet, and the blood began to flow. And there was a there was a, a human reaction to that crucifixion. But he knew that the blood was going to flow to all people of all time. That we could be saved because of it. It says, uh, fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. You see, the, the signs and wonders were just an outflow of what was happening there. We think about communion. Who takes communion? Well, people who are born again, because it really doesn't have any significance if you don't know Christ, does it? When do we do it? As often as we want. You can have communion at home. You don't have to have it here. You can have it in a link group. You don't have to have it here. You don't have to be ordained, licensed, or whatever else to take communion. Take communion as often as you like. You want to do it every day? It's great. You want to do it once a month? That's great, too. And the Bible specifically says whenever you want to do that, you can do that. And bring that embassy in. And then, and then why do we do it? Well, we celebrate redemption. We're saved. Why? Well, we take the bread and the cup and go, I know Jesus. This is so cool. 
I love this. Uh, when I was, uh, I, I've kind of gotten the habit of doing this. I should just do it ahead of time, but I feel so inspired sometimes. I was sitting down here during the during the second service when it started, and I just I wrote something. I want you to stand with me. We're gonna we're gonna say this together. It's uh, like a prophetic blessing and a declaration. So I have it, uh, I wrote it on my phone, so I don't have it in front of me, so I'm gonna look on the screen just like you, all right? Let's just, let's look at this. So, let's repeat this with me. I am washed in the blood of the Lamb. Sin no longer has power over me. Satan is defeated and powerless. God's word is true and powerful. I stand as a child of the living God. My future is secure. My hope is confident. And my life is abundant. Do you receive it? Just say, I receive it. Amen. Amen. Let's